Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. When we look at the cross and we understand that there are all these unbelievable benefits to the believers because of the cross. Some of these amazing benefits, the first one is at the cross, Jesus took our place. That place on that cross was my place. Because of my sin, because of what I had done, have done, because of what I will do, that place on the cross was mine. And Jesus says, I'm going to take it. Unbelievable. The second thing he did is he took not just my place, he took the curse. The curse that sin brought upon my life. And this is the scripture, Galatians 3 verse 13. Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. He redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. How amazing is that? How amazing is that? I don't know about you. Then then it says that he, He took upon us and He clothed us. I'm just reminding you, and I ask as, as we come closer to Easter, as believers, we don't just, well, my job is to invite people to the Easter service. No, your job is to marvel and wonder at the King of Kings. He clothed us when my clothes were sin, and my clothing was shame, and my clothing was guilt, my clothing was failure. Jesus says, I'm going to put a robe of righteousness on you. How amazing is that? And then it says, he didn't just do all that. It says, he tore the veil that was between us and the Father, between us and God, from the top to the bottom, from heaven to earth. The cross is never about what man can do. The gospel is never about what man can achieve or how we can get closer to God. Anything that is ever rooted out of our attempts to get closer to God, I'm telling you, doesn't bring glory to God. God says, I did it all. I tore it from the top to the bottom. It's always his initiative. God always is on the front foot with us. And that's Easter, and that's the story. And, but here you know the thing I've realized, and I want to call us, as I, I want to call us, Edwin said, who are, you, who are you inviting? I would ask right now, who are you inviting to Easter? Why? Because somehow people in our nation are open to church at Easter and Christmas. It's not a growth strategy. It's a church gospel reality. It's the fact that people need the King of Kings. Invite them. So Invite them. But I want to challenge us that we love the benefits I don't know if you get those phone calls at about quarter past five because I know you just finished work and maybe it's those phone calls. It's like the number that looks like it could be weird, like a, it's oh, oh, it like doesn't even look like a real number. And they just start going, these are the benefits. You're like, what are you even talking about, Bruno? These are the benefits. The reality is because they know we love benefits. And they want to get us before we even worked out the cost. We love the benefits. And we love the benefits of the cross. Read John Piper's book about the 50 reasons Christ died. It's amazing including the four that I've just spoken about. But I want to speak tonight about the implications of the cross. You see, here's the thing. The cross has bought so much for me, but I don't live at the foot of the cross. I live a life empowered because of the cross. I can walk beyond the cross, full of the, the John 10, 10 life that pours through my veins. And I can walk out from that place, full assurance. But there is a journey to be taken. There's a journey to be taken. And I want to speak about the fact that tonight the cross leads me to a radical and sacrificial life. It leads me there. Why, why do I preach the gospel? Just a few reasons why I preach the gospel. I preach the gospel because for my life and for your life, I want a radical God flavor, a risk-taking flavor, a countercultural flavor, a flavor that would challenge those who would sit around and, and just passively go through life. It's a flavor, there's this mix of 
tenderness that we could be tender people with and but we also be rugged. Honestly, the church is not one or the other. We are both. And in that, we would catch people and, and they would be almost caught off guard with the lives that we live because we have this ability to hold people tenderly and to fight for truth and righteousness and justice and mercy. It's, Bible would use language like this, salty and light. And Wally would talk about our salt ways or our salt paths. And our, we've had all these things. The Bible says actually, but you know what comes before the description that you are salt and you are light? It says this. In the verses just before, it said, Blessed are you who, who people... What? Let me start again. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute, and fa- falsely say all things of evil against you because of me. This is Jesus. These are the two verses preceding you are salt and you are light. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. What is he saying? He says, actually, you, you want to live a life that is flavored with the cross. Be glad when you are persecuted for the gospel. It's not a popular message. It's not selling out in Kum bookstores. It's like that book. Be persecuted for the gospel. Enjoy it. That book doesn't sell, but that book brings us life when we understand that actually one of the challenges of the cross is that we are called to be glad that, that actually the challenge of the cross is, is that we can live to store up treasures of this earth or we can live to store up and give Him glory. You know what the challenge in the church is? The challenge of the church is the world is living for health, wealth, and happiness. We can live for the exact same things and go, it's all for the glory of God. But it's not. And the world sniffs out that inauthenticity. They sniff it out. They sniff it out and they're saying, actually, we're looking for something different. We're looking for the flavor that looks more and more like the cross. There is a potency to the cross. It's a potency that I want for my own life. I read about the apostles walking the streets and and just walking past people and God doing stuff. I read about Jesus walking the streets and a woman who'd had an issue of blood for years after year after year touches the back of his cloak. Something changes. I want that in my life because that's what the gospel looks like. And there is a journey to that place. There's a journey. I want to speak and I want to call us. I'm wanting for myself that that what what is the world wanting this Easter? They are looking for something radical. Not just the same, same. Not just church as usual. Not just believers as usual. They're looking for something a little risky. Will the church risk again? Will the church stick its neck out again? Will the church fight for peace, freedom, justice, life again? Something sacrificial. The gospel is sacrificial. It is. But I'm going to tell you why it's worth it. See, the, the radical gospel understands that there was, the cross wasn't convenient, cheap, easy, or comfortable. Actually, it was unbelievably inconvenient. It was incredibly costly. It was unbelievably uncomfortable. So it calls us to something major. See, the challenge is we live a little bit like in the modern church. So I'm not angry. Some of you are looking at me like, Mark's very serious tonight. Very serious. What have we done? No, I'm not angry. I want the fullness of the promise of God for your life. But we can't live like we are these, we can walk into these Christian Burger King dispensers. I'll have one side of health, I'll have an an upscale of wealth, and and I'll have the bottomless happiness. And I'll have another portion of health. 
We don't get that. We get Jesus far better. And that's the gospel. And I want to call us this morning, and Paul the Apostle speaks, and he calls us to a story. It's from Romans 12. And I want to read two verses and position this amazing scripture for us. It starts like this. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Oh, worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. There is so much theology in those two verses. But here is what I I want to present to you that I think we've got it wrong way around. I think we love verse 2 more than verse 1. My experience in the church is we are more obsessed with us knowing our will, that God's will for us, and it's about our story in the gospel. And God, I want to know your will. And when I know your will, and you clarify and you paint out the steps, then I will walk it because that is good, perfect, and pleasing. And God's saying it never started with your will. It always started with Him. And what does He demand of a true worshiper? A living sacrifice. Boom! That's what you bought into. To be a living sacrifice for Jesus. See, we don't live in the reality that, that in South Africa there's freedom of religion, there's freedom. We don't, churches are not getting persecuted. We haven't got security guards at our doors. You know, a couple of weeks ago I had the privilege of being in the Middle East and with the church there. The guys have ministered in context where they've had to hire armed men to stand on the perimeter with massive armed weapons to keep the church safe. We don't live under that. But here's the thing, God is still calling living sacrifices. So we get it wrong and we say, well, show me your will and then I'll step in. And God's saying, become a living sacrifice who is a worshiper. And on the other side of it, I will reveal my good, perfect and pleasing will to you. Just think we've got to get those things right. But, but here's the thing. It says, therefore, I urge you, in view of God's mercy. What's your view? As you process Easter, what's your view? See, the guy who writes this wrote the book of Romans. And he's looking back and he's saying, in the view of Romans 1 to Romans 11. It's incredible. Then when last you read the book of Romans, he, he starts out, it's about God's wrath against mankind, but he quickly goes to God's righteous judgment. And then he jumps to the fact that actually there's the law and he presents all these difficult cases, but he begins to speak about God's faithfulness. He begins to say that it's only salvation by faith in Jesus alone. It's, it's nothing we can do. It's not about us. It's the righteousness we've received. It's the freedom that we have received. It's the grace of God that pours out. And he says, in view of God's mercy, in the view of Romans 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, therefore, be living sacrifices. And we distill it down to, well, what was the last verse. Now it's in the view. How big is your view? Have you, have you studied redemption? It's beautiful. Have you studied the, 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 the reality that God paid our price? I ask you this week, go get some books, go read about the redemption, go read about what the price that Jesus has paid. See, because here's the thing. It's a call to surrender ourselves as living sacrifices. But it's in the view of all that God has done already. Maybe saying, well, I'm, I'm still struggling with this. Yes, but what has God done? Get an eternal view. 
What has God done? I can stand with a man last week and speak about his child who died at two years old because I know what God has done and how good he is. But this guy, Paul, it's an amazing thing. He's radical, he's wild, and he's been on this incredible journey. And he speaks of a living sacrifice. You know what's amazing about him? He was the guy who when Stephen, not an apostle, not a big guy in the church, just a faithful deacon who loved the poor, looked after the sick, made sure food got to the grannies in the church, made sure that he was faithful, he was full of power, he was full of might. They'd seen some, a few miracles. That's Stephen. And Stephen's there, and he's just doing what he should do, which is telling people about Jesus. Just telling the story of Jesus. And they don't like it. The religious of the day don't like it. Let me tell you, the religious of the day still don't like it. Anyone who who wants to take any acclaim for their life will not like the gospel, because the gospel says you can take no acclaim for your life. Your only acclaim is you get a view of God's mercy for your life. And that determines your steps. That determines your response. And this guy, Paul, who was previously named Saul, stood there. And it says, they began to stone. It says, they they closed their eyes and they began to shout. It's like a scene from a horror movie. Why? Because they were so enraged. Because the gospel is so offensive. Please understand this. You want to be a disciple of Jesus? You want to be a follower of Jesus? The gospel is offensive. We don't need to be offensive because the gospel is offensive enough. But he, they come up with these rumors and they hijack him out the city and they're about to stone him and they don't know anywhere to put their jackets. They're just looking for someone. So I see a guy standing there. He looks kind of trustworthy. He looks like they could trust him. It's this guy, Paul, who wrote Romans 12. He's standing there. They put their jackets at his feet and he is there affirming what they are doing. And they begin to stone Stephen. Let's turn to Acts 7 if you have your Bible, please. Verse 54, Acts 7, kind of two-thirds away through the Bible, just after Romans. Actually, just before Romans. It says this, When they heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. As they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he'd said this, he fell asleep. And Saul was there giving approval to his death. You see, this guy, Saul, who's writing to the church and saying, therefore, in the light of the view of God's mercy, therefore, your act of worship is to become a living sacrifice. Just a life laid down. What does living sacrifice look like? It looks like we make decisions based on godly wisdom and the Bible, not of men's health and cosmo. That's what a life laid down. That's a living sacrifice. We choose to believe the promises of God and not the lies of the enemy. We choose to live and run off the fuel of the affirmation of the Father and not the fuel of the affirmation of a man or a woman. It's, it's, it's a different economy. We plug ourselves and there is life in that. But this guy Stephen is there. And here's the point and it's simple. 
he's the only guy who seems to have moved Jesus off his throne. In Matthew, Mark, Luke, other scriptures, Revelation, it's all about Jesus seated on his throne. He's seated on his throne. He's relaxed because he's the king. The end of the story is written. But here, it's an amazing thing. Stephen looks up in the middle of these stones about to kill him. He looks up into heaven. And he sees Jesus standing. Why? Was it Jesus got caught up with emotion? I think as they were calling him and there were opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to kick out. Opportunity after opportunity to not be a living sacrifice. Opportunity after opportunity to take the easier way. And every time Stephen made a better decision, I see Jesus moving more towards the edge of his throne. He's like, look at him. Because if anyone knew what it was to be a living sacrifice, it's Jesus. What is Easter about? It's about a living sacrifice who was guilt-free, who didn't deserve any of it. And what does the Bible say in Isaiah 53? Like a lamb, he made no noise. He, he, he didn't plead his innocence. He didn't try to get out of it. Easter is about a Savior who laid his life down for us. And he's seated on his throne. He's watching Stephen. They're, they're stoning him, and the stones are hitting him. What is Stephen's response? See, in our world, when people throw stones at us, we pick up bigger stones and coy them back. You're going to throw a stone? I'll show you a stone. I'm going to hit you with a stone. But Stephen, having a view of God's mercy, looks into heaven, sees Jesus standing, he says, Father, forgive him. Why does Jesus stand? I think because he sees a disciple. He sees someone who took follow me very seriously. He sees someone who has a high view of the mercy of God. Someone who understands eternity. What is the cross about? The cross is about us. In the light of God's grace, goodness, and mercy. In view of his mercies. Choosing as worshipers to be living sacrifices to Jesus. Here's the promise. It will be costly. It will be unpopular. Even your family will struggle. Just telling you, that's what the Bible says. I'm not making it up. You're going to have to make some decisions that will be unpopular with people you like to please. Why? Because in the view of God's mercies and in the light of eternity, when we gather to wonder and marvel at the cross again at Easter, there is life, there is freedom, there is power, there is liberty, there is an ability to be truly yourself. I honestly believe you cannot be truly yourself unless... Your eyes are fixed on Him. Because in Him, we find our ability to walk. I just felt we needed to have a moment in the light of the Easter to say, what is this all about? Don't get caught up in the Easter eggs. Don't get caught up in moments. Get caught up in the view of God's mercies. I want to be like Stephen. I don't know if I'll be martyred for the gospel. But as I read about Stephen, I have to process for myself. There's going to be moments where I've got to stand. See young guys here, young guys in leadership in schools, young guys with possibilities. 
men and women positions of authority in their marketplace leading. Want to be a living sacrifice? You know where it starts? Love people. Fight for people. Pray for people. Pay people. Honor people. And allow your honor not to come from their response to you. In view of God's mercy and the fact that he is the God who gives honor. Easter is about him. It's not a growth strategy for the church. It's about you being caught up with him again and living from that place in power. Can we pray? That's all right. Just, I actually, I realize this word almost is more for the church than the unbeliever. I know that. But I think the gospel is for everyone. I, I think the call to live a life laid down, the call to worship him is for everyone. Because I know God didn't die for the church. God died for the world. For God so loved the world. Maybe here tonight you're saying, Mark, actually, this radical life, I want to do something amazing with my life. But I don't have the courage. Or what would my dad say? I want to tell you about the Father in heaven who has such a cheer for you. Such love and mercy for you, that he would do nothing better than to pour his grace and honor upon you. Not a sales pitch of the church, the promise of the gospel. If you haven't committed your life to Jesus, I want to give you an opportunity now, and I'd love to pray with you, and I'd love to cheer for you in this new day. If there's anyone who says, actually, I haven't made a decision to follow Jesus, but I want to. See, here's the thing, you can't do it by yourself. You can't do it out of your own strength. You can only do it by the strength he gives you. You can't hold on. I'm going to do everything right. No, no, no. That's what Paul is saying. He's saying in the light of the fact that you can't do it. The gospel and salvation available for you. If you're here and you're saying, actually, Mark, I haven't made that decision. Can I pray for you now? Is there anyone here? Why don't you wave your hand to me? There's not many other easier ways to do it in this context. There's anyone here saying, actually, Mark, I'm not sure I've made that decision. I'd love to pray for you. Is anyone? It's cool if there's not. You know? Last chance. Wonderful. I'd love to pray for us if that's all right. Ed, have you got something you want to share before I pray? Can I? I'll just pray right now, God. As your church... We gather, we are overwhelmed by your goodness. I pray as this week leading up to Easter is less about public holidays coming. It's less about targets for bottom line. I pray as your people, as your sons, we would be caught up with the wonder of who you are, the privileges and the benefits we receive because of your love and your great sacrifice. And I pray put courage in your church again to be living sacrifices who bring you praise, to make the hard decisions that are costly in this life, but an echo of praise into eternity. I pray, God, raise up that church today. We worship you, King. Amen.